0: available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, L Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today I have a very special, wonderful guest back to the show for the second time, Dr. Gary Forsman, MD. How are you, Gary?
1: I'm wonderful, thank you.
0: So, middlepathmedicine.com is your website. You can learn more about Gary and his credentials and his practice online. But basically, Gary's the doctor whose name graces the cover of my book, The Paleothyroid Solution. And there's an in-depth Q&A with Dr. Forsman in the book. And we're going to touch on a few, uh, tangents and angles of thyroid health today. Um, let's, let's talk briefly about the fact that there's just such an increase in thyroid problems, not only in the country, but, you know, people are singing in every practice, naturopathic doctors, MDs. Tell us what you think is contributing to that. Why is there such an increase?
1: Wow. Um, there's many, many factors. I think it has to do with the last 30 years, the shift in the American diet to the low-fat low diet, which means higher carb and higher, related, um, higher relative intake of all the different grains, including the GMOs, etc. I believe uh, the stress levels and its effect on immune system function is another key component. The toxicity of our environment. I think everybody knows that we're living in a toxic soup of a world. That's playing a huge role. Uh, and there does seem to be an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency associated with all these autoimmune diseases. And so I think it's, a, as most complex illnesses, it's a multifactorial reason. And there's not just one cause for why there's so much thyroid disease.
0: Right. And common deficiencies, actually, they, I, I read that you know, at at the baseline of a lot of diseases, there happens to be vitamin D deficiencies like breast cancer and other ailments. So vitamin D deficiency just across the board is something everyone needs to jump on, uh, uh, probably according to you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, there's and there and even with uh, Hashimoto's, there's so much evidence linking vitamin D deficiency with the severity of autoimmune disease and, and treating with vitamin D and improving thyroid antibodies. So there's no question that low vitamin D because of its effect on immune system function, and we've talked about this cell before, but for some, surprisingly most people don't realize there's vitamin D receptors in every cell of the human body. So it plays so many roles that goes past bone health. So when you get a reference range from the laboratory that says a level of vitamin D in the bloodstream from 30 to 100 is normal, um, a level above 30 is enough to prevent rickets, which is great, <laughs> you know and and that's a great start. I always tell people, great start, let's not have rickets. Well we're all behind that. Um, but the fact that you know calling a 31 on your vitamin D level normal, now that's kind of a tragedy because it's it's not normal. it's just enough to prevent rickets and and this goes into making sure people get their vitamin D level tested uh, to understand that a healthy level is in the 70 to 90 range, not in the 31 range. And to also understand that most doctors, and this happens in my practice all the time, when my patient has a 75 level, it scares the doctor why a healthy vitamin D would scare a doctor. Again, I find amazing. Um, But their doctors don't understand this for whatever reason, because they don't take a look at it. And so if you could just you know these simple caveats for everybody, or just take somewhere between five to ten thousand units of vitamin D a day. You'll never get toxic on that level, um, and so. Uh, but measure your levels, and if you, especially, and this is another caveat for your, um, you know, your your clients or whatever, which is if um, they have a family history, especially of thyroid illness, please, 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 you know, take vitamin D. It's true for everybody, obviously, but um, but that's just one of the simplest things. We can do Take vitamin D Get your levels Measured and it would do so much in the prevention I think especially, but also the treatment of Hashimoto's.
0: Nice, and also on that same level, we've talked about it briefly before, but because it's such an important component, not only to thyroid health for people who are not on thyroid hormone replacement, but also for people who are on thyroid hormone replacement is ferritin, which is iron storage, and again, in a range of 10 to 150, a doctor who sees a 30, and you know, I brought a friend to you recently who this happened to, their gynecologist said, oh my Gosh, that level is fine. It's normal for people your age. She's thirty-two, and then you know, I said, "No, you're anemic," and and so did you because thirty is not appropriate. It's edging; it is anemia, right? But it's certainly edging towards serious problems. And when my ferritin back in the day was down to ten, I mean, I I was passing out. I had restless legs. I could barely walk. I had no energy. So again, ferritin is another one of those things, right? That doctors just don't understand. Can you talk a little bit about? the importance of ferritin.
1: Certainly, while well, within your question, important to understand that you can have low ferritin, low iron stores, but not be anemic. Okay, so you're not anemic because that's based on the hemoglobin level, but the low ferritin, the iron stores are their body's reserve of iron. So some, some, especially true in women, obviously, because you guys have periods and things. And so it's, and this is true for men too, a healthy level of ferritin, iron storage is between 50 and 100. This is one, another area that somewhat scares doctors because we know too high of an iron, anything above 100 can be associated with problems, uh, oxidative stress to the body. So you can get too much iron. For most women, that's extraordinarily difficult to do, but of course you can measure it. But there's many, many studies that show that an iron level, this ferritin level, under 50 can be associated with mood disorders and uh, low energy, so many things, even if you're not anemic. So, it's low iron in the face of, uh, in the absence of anemia. Of course, if you're anemic, it's even more severe. Um, and so, because uh, once again, this is the, the understanding for everybody out there, iron its primary role probably is not probably it is to help with it, making hemoglobin but just because the hemoglobin is okay even if you're not anemic if you don't have adequate iron stores your iron plays a role in so many other um as an enzymatic cofactor in so many other conditions for the body that's why you're hearing about restless leg syndrome associated with low iron um low you know depression so many things are associated with low iron in a woman who isn't even anemic
0: right and most of the- doctors are just testing the hemoglobin they're not necessarily testing the ferritin and so they might be missing something
1: it's missed so frequently as you know uh, that if you you know that old say you've heard this from me a million times if you don't take a temperature you can't find a fever doctors aren't measuring thyroid tests so they miss all the thyroid problems they don't take check the iron stores and it goes into um just a today's medicine being so oriented towards quick office visits, etc. the fewer lab tests you order on a patient, the less things are hard to discuss and the quicker you can get them out of the office.
0: Well, that seems really pro-patient, doesn't it? <laughs> um, you know, on that note, and we talk, we, we really get a handle on this in the book and our discussion, but I want to touch on it briefly. So I kind of think I know your answer to this, but let's say you were sitting next to another MD that you didn't know and you guys are having a chat and that doctor told you and you're eating a steak and that doctor says to you, you know, saturated fat causes heart disease. I'm assuming you would probably laugh in their face initially (laughs) or, or, I mean, you know, so it's just as ridiculous as that comment is and how we all know in the paleo primal world that the outdated conventional wisdom of fat equals heart disease or fat is bad for you. We have a similar paradigm and hopefully it's shifting with my book and also in general with, with other people like you who are up on the latest and really have gone above and beyond as far as, you know, investigating thyroid health there are still and and this is just too unfortunate but endocrinologists seem to be the 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 worst people to go to for hypothyroidism because they seem to be the ones that are most entrenched in the old paradigm of Synthroid or T4 only, Levothyroxine being the one only treatment for hypothyroidism. Can you discuss that a little bit and let us know, like, why is that the case? Because I know a lot of people come to you after being mistreated for years on Synthroid. It's not always the best option for people. And yet their doctors are saying, this is the only thing. That is for you. This is the only treatment. And we've heard that so many times. And, you know, patients are, are leave their endocrinologist office thinking that they're crazy. They're being told they have secret eating disorders, you know, that they're not admitting. And the endocrinologists are just not testing the right tests. I mean, and someone out there might be like, how is that possible, Gary? How is that possible? Endocrinologists are supposed to be specialized in things of the endocrine system. So, so, so from a doctor, can you explain to us why that that's still there?
1: Well, there's a lot of depths to your question, Ellen. you know I'm not good at, at shortening my answers. Um, so, No, no I like this, the
0: long ones, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but this is true for, you know, I was just this last weekend at a conference and talking to a lady about why she had so many problems with Lyme's disease. If you go to an infectious disease doctor, they don't believe in Lyme's disease, chronic Lyme's disease, excuse me. So uh, she was talking about how many times doctors just rolled her eye, their eyes at her when she mentioned her Lyme's disease. Um, and the same thing happens to the patient who goes to the endocrinologist who say, you know, says, I think I might have low 2, 3, and the endocrinologist will roll their eyes at them because, and, and because they don't believe in it. And this is the important thing is that, that the understanding of Western medicine as a belief system is so important because what I was trying to get across to this lady, whether she has, she has Lyme's disease and goes to an infectious disease doctor or the person who has a, wants to have a healthy diet goes to see a cardiologist. They're going to see a a specialist in a system which has become a belief system, not a science-based system. Um, And so when you look at—and if you understand Western medicine as a belief system, not a science-based system, you come to this kind of aha moment in understanding why the doctors act the way they do. Because when you go in—and let's be more specific—when you go into the endocrinologist's office, they've been trained, honestly— that T4 and TSH is all you need to matter. All you need to do is take T4. So when you ask them something else, essentially you're challenging the very basis of who they are and and that's like challenging someone's belief system, right? If you challenge someone's belief system in today's world, obviously things can go very, very awry. And so, and unfortunately, the doctor, who's supposed to be a scientist, really has become essentially a high priest of, of Western medicine. Um, and so from that standpoint, the, the, sorry about that, um, the, the, and And now you understand when you're asking this question, you probably should have some research on the doctor you're talking about. Do they know about T3? Is there something on their website? Do they know about reverse T3? Because when you ask them to do other tests or if you look at something other than just standard Synthroid or T4, um, you might be actually challenging it's you're literally threatening their existence so that's why you don't get a very good response from them and it gives you hopefully some degree of empathy about why the doctor doesn't understand because the the more inculcated into the belief system the higher you up you are this more specialized like an endocrinologist is more specialized than myself an internist um, about thyroid right so they're going to be more attached to that way of being And that's why they take it so personally, is when you ask them a question that challenges the core of who they are, You really are attacking their belief system. And anywhere in the world, you can see that doesn't go well.
0: Well, on that note, though, there are doctors like you and others who've gone above and beyond their initial training. They've looked into things, they've listened to their patients, and you're delving into and looking at the science and you're improving your practice of medicine and improving the health of your patients. Why are endocrinologists not learning above and beyond what they learned, but yet someone like you is? Do you know what I mean? Because clearly, something that they learned. 30 years ago in medical school, I mean, logically, one would even think with all the changes over time that an endocrinologist might say, you know, there might be some more research or some new stuff that's happened in the past 30 years. I mean, the fact that they wouldn't even ask that question or look deeper, doesn't that just make, it makes no sense to me. I mean, what we knew 30 years ago about, you know, technology is so much more improved now. So why wouldn't they apply that same, you know, to medicine like you do? Well,
1: because I'm more of a scientist than I'm I am a belief system person. So if you understand your question, if you go to the Pope and say, have you heard about Judaism and you really want to look at it, they're going to be too attached to being Catholic, okay? And they aren't going to look at all at that from a standpoint of wanting it to be their belief system. They might look at it. And unfortunately, it's the same thing. The more attached, the more further up you are into your belief system, you don't look at other data that might challenge your belief system. So you see that in today's world in the politics, right? if you just only watch fox news you'll never think that there's another way of being and so and and you live in that fear-based bubble so so it's the same thing with a the doctor they don't want to look at something else because most people aren't willing to challenge their own belief systems and so and and then if you see that everywhere in the world cuz you do then you have empathy oh they're afraid of the change and so most doctors and the, they They are afraid to look into something that might challenge their belief system just like the rest of the world. Okay. So, so I agree with you, Al, of course, the doctor should be, that's the whole thing. I went into medicine because I thought it was, it was science and it was cool. And, and, and this, this basic understanding about why doctors are so, um, attached to things, you know, it's, I, I, I had this kind of. Understanding because, you know, there's such an anti-vaccine movement and uh, in, in the natural medicine world. And, and vaccines are one of the last things I challenged as a Western doctor is what is the science between uh, vaccinations? And most doctors don't challenge that. I, heck, I didn't challenge it until a few years ago because I was learned as a core belief of my Western medical training is that vaccines are the greatest thing that we've done. You know, vaccines and antibiotics. Um, and so... And it's not true, by the way, and so, but it's, but vaccination, and that's, what the, I had, it was a, a dream the other night, and I kind of woke up from it, that, that vaccination is kind of like the baptism into the Western medical belief system for the whole world, basically, and it's one of our... religious beliefs in the western medicine and that's why most MDs will not challenge it at all now I think we've taken it to somewhat of an extreme on the other side which is like all vaccines are evil that's a little bit overstated from my perspective but but you, you see this everywhere in the world oh that's why doctors MDs don't challenge Um, vaccines uh, because it's a core belief system. And the closer you get to the core, the less likely you are to actually look at the literature that challenges vaccines. And like I said, that's a more emotional laden one. And so it's the same process Elle, as with the thyroid. You have, If you have a strong core belief system, that T4 is the only thing, you actually don't even see the literature that challenges it.
0: Right. You're, you're not even taking the time to see if there's a possibility something might have changed over the 30 years of when you went to medical school, which I find to be ridiculous, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Because
1: why would you? Because it is a core belief system and it doesn't get challenged because people don't like challenging their core belief systems in the world.
0: Right. And like you said in the book, you know, an endocrinologist who spent all this money and all this time on their education might think to themselves, there's no way I could possibly have not learned everything I was supposed to learn.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: I want to ask you about, you know, one of these other sort of falsehoods out there. um, And we talk about it in the book. You explain it very well, but it it's a common theme. So when patients are on a thyroid hormone replacement containing T3, whether it's desiccated thyroid or it's compounded T4, T3, or it's T3 only, oftentimes times, and it's not the goal, but usually when people are optimized and feeling great, their TSH value is zero-ish. It's suppressed, as we say, and this causes a lot of problems. For example, actually, I was just speaking to Tony Federico on Paleo Magazine. We we talk about it on a podcast I did with him, but he doesn't have a thyroid gland. It was removed, and he uh, was on T4, and he asked his endocrinologist, hey, I'd really like to try desiccated, so he's been on it. and Then he went back to go get the tests, and his TSH was suppressed, and his endocrinologist 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 freaked out and said, I'm going to have to lower your medication. So can you tell us the the little history behind why doctors freak out about a TSH being suppressed?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, if you start off the first thyroid hormone test available to us doctors was the TSH. Okay. So it became back to this core belief system. The TSH was all we had for quite a while. And then there was the total T4 and we could go on and on to the rest of the test. but, But remember TSH is one of the first things we, we were able to measure and when the TSH is suppressed okay which means low that usually means high thyroid and if you and let's start off with the, the the reference range from the lab is based upon a general population that is not on any thyroid hormone so the reference range that the doctor uses has nothing to do with thyroid hormone replacement therapy okay and it has to do with a population average which include by the way the, the reference range for many are like 0.5 to 4.5 and 4.5 is too high of a TSH okay that means you're probably low so in general if the TSH is suppressed okay so I saw a lady last week with, with Graves disease and she had a, a free T3 of 17 <laughs> and which is very which is very high people and 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 of course her TSH TSH is suppressed. That's a hyperthyroid lady because she, you know, she's she has Graves disease, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease that causes hyper too high a thyroid. So whenever we see TSH suppressed, as a doctor, we used to think, oh my gosh, this is Graves or something bad. And that's the first level of things. The next level of things is remember we always used T4 as the thyroid hormone replacement. So when we when we did treat our hypothyroid patients, If the TSH is suppressed when you use T4 only, you are probably giving too much because that is when it's a problem. So the TSH is low in the person who's not taking any thyroid hormone, it's usually a problem of hyperthyroidism, usually not always. Um, And so uh, same thing goes, if someone is on T4 only and the TSH is suppressed, they're probably getting too much thyroid. um, And that's usually, but of course not always a problem. So that's where the doctor's mindset comes from. And furthermore, in the past, when we were trying to suppress... Um, thyroid nodules by suppressing TSH with too much thyroid, we could cause some arrhythmias. We could cause some osteoporosis when we use T4 only again. And so,
0: and can you detail that again? That's like a protocol that was used like 20, 30 years ago, where if someone had nodules on their thyroid gland, they would try to give them like a lot of T4 to suppress the TSH, so the nodules would go away. And in that process, they found those people were having heart issues and becoming hyper. So the fear came from that protocol that's now outdated and you guys don't even do that right
1: correct yeah because i've been practicing for about 30 years and it was getting uh it getting into that it just at the end of that era because of these kinds of studies so it was indoctrinated and that again that's such an important word people indoctrination the more you study something the more indoctrinated it you are and of course doctors are quite indoctrinated and so that we really believe these things that we learned sometimes thirty and forty years ago. Um, assuming you're that old, um, <laughs> anyways. Um, and so uh, that's that's uh, you know that's that's the truth. And and back at the days, it was true. If you took too much T four, you would suppress the TSH, and that can be associated with problems. That's why doctors today still freak out about stuff that's been now disproven for say 20 years now that a low tsh is a sign always of being of always being hyperthyroid it simply is not and it's simply not when you're using things like desiccated thyroid and or any variation on t4 t3 prescriptions because t3 has a quick half-life and anybody who says takes nature throid or Armour could do this don't take the thyroid uh, the, your arm your nature throid the morning of the test and you have a you can have a decent t3 Take your, your nature through an hour before you do your lab test, and you'll say, Whoa, there's quite a spike there. Okay.
0: Right, which can give someone a false reading, make someone possibly lower medication. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that is sort of a rule of thumb to, to take your pill with you and wait till after the blood draw.
1: Exactly. And that's what people don't understand. But if you do that just as an experiment, you could actually document to your doctor, oh the reason my TSH is suppressed is because with T3 in the prescription you get a brief spike, that causes more TSH suppression than T4 only prescriptions even though you're not truly taking too much thyroid. So it's because the form of the thyroid hormone we're giving causes more TSH suppression than T4 only. So it's not true. The TSH only almost becomes a useless test.
0: Right, right. And, and I guess to just give people a little bit of background there, so the TSH being the signal sent from the pituitary, the base of the brain, to the thyroid. So if this t- if the brain senses that there is enough thyroid hormones in the blood it won't be sending the signal which means it's going to be low or zero and t3 because it's so quick acting will suppress like you said that signal quicker than just someone on t4 only it's interesting so recently this happened with the same patient without the thyroid on desiccated i'm try. i was trying to help them find a doctor in florida nobody would either prescribe desiccated that i called or they worried about a tsh suppression and they told me this over the phone finally i found one doctor who said Yes, I will allow them to be on this medication and have their TSH suppressed, but I need them to sign something saying that they understand the dangers of osteoporosis and heart issues. So now we still have a doctor out there who's so worried about he's making patients sign something that has, in your opinion, from your research, been proven not to be a problem. So this is still like a really big problem, because people who are on a T4-T3 combo can still remain hypothyroid and sick because a doctor is scared of a 40-year-old protocol fear-based, you know, thing.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, again, uh, doctors have a higher liability issue than all the other practitioners out there. They're afraid of being sued a lot, and, and unfortunately, many just kind of grow up you know, grow up as doctors that is, um, with that kind of fear. So they're having everybody and they're taught to, to, you know, I don't have anybody do this in my practice because I'm not afraid of it. But um, So so yes, he he obviously is afraid of the, the liability issues should the person have any kind of heart arrhythmia and or low bone density which obviously many women as they get older have low bone density it's nothing to do with their TSH and so and obviously there's ways of monitoring bone density which is an entirely different um, subject um, so yeah and that, this goes back to having empathy for your doctor which is um, you know true understanding we should breed empathy and then just this at least this person's willing to step out a little bit but they didn't step out too far because because they obviously didn't look up the no this doesn't Cause the the suppression of TSH with the with the nature and things does not cause osteoporosis. Uh, And I told you anecdotally that in my practice it seems like the the women who have the lowest TSH just seem to have the best bone densities and the best bone turnover. So I think that whenever you improve their endocrine status that does help their bones and so uh, and many times they shifted into you know from centroid to the to the the nature throid their bone turnover markers get better and all these other things all in the state of having a TSH suppression and I just think it's because you improved one of their basic most important uh, metabolic processes in their body
0: I want to move over to the subject of Hashimoto's and grains I mean obviously you're a primal doc you understand That grains are a marketing gimmick and, and, you know, not really human food. But let's talk about the importance of that with Hashimoto's and how maybe this whole grain movement has triggered a lot of autoimmunity. Um, Can you explain how and why grains trigger Hashimoto's for people that are out there and may not understand or may think that's like BS?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, Wow. So as as most people know there's only one autoimmune disease which we know the cause of it's called celiac disease and celiac disease is a autoimmune disease triggered by the gluten okay and so the gluten molecule found in barley rye and wheat um and so and this gives us the template for autoimmune diseases there is a strong association with grain and specifically gluten consumption and autoimmunity including thyroid autoimmunity and so this and be very clear there's Nobody knows for sure what causes Hashimoto's. There's associations with many things, from stress, family history, gluten exposure. We can go on and on, and the rest of the grains. Grains are an immune... They're literally a molecule that causes your immune system to react like it's being attacked. The immune system's job is to recognize foreign invaders. And so one of the earlier questions you have is, why do we think there's... um, You know, more autoimmune disease. And I think it has a lot to to do with there's a lot more leaky gut syndrome. Leaky gut is increased intestinal permeability or hyperpermeability. And more intact molecules will, will, intact molecules of our food and many other things can leak across the intestinal tract. And the immune system will recognize the intact molecule. And so, in the state of poor digestive health, which is its own. issue and poor digestive health is common and and so common in America you can see everybody's constipated diarrhea or whatever and and that's because of antibiotics drugs anti-inflammatory medicines birth control pills I could go on and on stress why so much leaky gut is there okay and I think with a higher exposure to these all the grains, all the different glutens of the world especially with a genetic predisposition intact molecules of these actual um, glutens are going are being exposed to the, to the immune system and the immune system attacks it like a foreign invader now there's a lot of debate here at this point why does attacking that cause you to attack yourself is it molecular mimicry or a variety by the reasons i think is a little bit past our podcast but be very clear attacking these molecules is associated with attacking yourself because that's the cool thing about celiac disease even though it's a foreign molecule gluten that causes the autoimmune disease celiac disease when you remove the, the the molecule the gluten from the diet the celiac disease goes away even though you're still there because once again doctors were taught that if you if you're gonna be there if you're autoimmune you're always going to attack yourself because you're always there and it turns out it's not true you take away the irritant the gluten you stop having celiac now, the hope is the same thing will occur in the person when we correct their vitamin D and we correct their ferritin, we do all stress management, heal their leaky gut, do all the things necessary, they become non-autoimmune again. And so, but be clear, the grains are, are, are food that that are once again as you know i keep saying this to everybody we don't argue against the tastiness of tiramisu it's tasty um <laughs> it's not about that okay
0: it, we're not arguing a, a bagel and cream cheese can't be delightful <laughs> yeah.
1: nobody's saying that we're saying it's not a good human food because it just isn't if these these grains are so irritating to the immune system especially when we're stressed especially when we're stressed on an acid. especially when we're stressed on an acid taking birth control all these things add up to this increased exposure of your immune system to this highly irritating mo- molecule and that can trigger an autoimmune response.
0: Right. Um, and, and and let's detail that further because I had asked you this question where I was like, well, if, if gluten enters the body, you're, you have Hashimoto's, it triggers antibodies. And I asked you the question, well, why would someone who's on who has Hashimoto's who's taking like thyroid hormone why isn't the immune system attacking the thyroid hormone because clearly then someone with Hashimoto's wouldn't even be able to live so what is it exactly attacking is it like a protein or what does it what does the immune system think it's seeing when you know grains come in on someone with Hashimoto's
1: well as as you know with Hashimoto's the doctor asked to me- measure two different types of antibodies and there's more that can be measured but start with these two basics are you getting your thyroid peroxidase antibodies uh, measured and the thyroglobulin antibodies measured because the Hashimoto's is actually a diverse set of diseases which I truly believe is, is true that it's not just one thing it's not just gluten it's not just other forms of grains there's it's a there's a complexity there and the and you look to see what kind of antibody is being formed versus the thyroid if any of course okay but in Hashimoto's by definition you have to be making one of these antibodies if not both and so when you're Uh, when you measure these antibodies they're not against thyroid hormone they're against certain enzymes and proteins within the thyroid itself okay so so the attack is versus not the thyroid hormone but a component of the thyroid involved in the making of the thyroid hormone or the transport of the thyroid hormone okay and so so and and this is important for the all your everybody listening out there it's good to have corrected thyroid hormones on whatever form of thyroid hormone you use. But if you're still autoimmune, it still means there's something going on that's triggering an autoimmune process. And that needs to be treated because in the end, this isn't a thyroid problem. It's an immune problem. Okay, Just like if somebody has rheumatoid arthritis, it's not a joint problem. It's an immune problem. Okay, Of course, it affects the joints and it is a joint problem. Of course, thyroid, you know Hashimoto's is a thyroid problem. But at its core, it's an immune system dysfunction. Okay.
0: Right. And we, we spoke about this briefly on the last podcast you're on, but I'd love to touch on it again, which is let's say someone has Hashimoto's. They are on thyroid hormone replacement. They're doing well. They're feeling great. But every time they get their blood test, they have high levels of antibodies. Usually doctors don't understand you can even treat that autoimmunity. So they just think to themselves, well, the presence of these antibodies is always going to be there because this patient is has Hashimoto's. And in your opinion and in your practice too, that's not the case. You can actually Treat the autoimmunity and get those antibodies down to even non-existent levels. And you mentioned low dose naltrexone and obviously grain-free and, and and dealing with these other things. So doctors don't even realize, like so there's Hashimoto's patients out there doing well, like they're feeling great. They don't feel the ebbs and flows of the Hashimoto's, but there's this underlying antibody presence slash inflammation slash problem brewing, and they don't even know that they can address it.
1: Right, because autoimmunity itself not only can is a greatest risk factor for a new autoimmune disease but there's linkages between higher levels of these antibodies and breast cancer heart disease and other things so once again immune system dysfunction is the disease and your doctor isn't even measuring it why is not the doctor measuring it because we were taught not to there are no medicines and this is true in western medicine folks which is if If there isn't a drug to treat something, why bother testing for it? And so there is no drug used, well, other naltrexone is an off-label use of a drug, as you understand, but there's no drugs that we're taught to use that can treat um, autoimmunity, so we don't even test the antibodies anymore. Most doctors with low thyroid don't even care why, they just give you thyroid. So, So for the most part, the doctors don't measure the thyroid autoimmunity because there's nothing that we have from a drug perspective, that is, to treat this, whereas, well, like, we talked about you go paleo you correct vitamin D you correct iron you give selenium and that's my first level of treatment for thyroid autoimmunity okay and see if we can if you're early on in the disease hopefully you can prevent the progression to full-blown low thyroid okay you're autoimmune without being hypothyroid If you're 20 years into the illness, you're you're probably have lost most of your thyroid gland, and for the most part, you're probably going to stay on thyroid hormone. Okay, Um, but there's no reason not to try to go off the after the. Uh, autoimmunity because we know it's a sign of immune system dysfunction and that's the real core because you know you and I were more causative people We're looking for the underlying reasons for things okay and, and the why questions are really important in the world all right? you know and so um, so why am I developing this autoimmunity is a great question of course and even though we don't have all the answers that's the hopefully the essence of being a human being is to answer ask the questions that are the most difficult ones right um and so so on that order i don't know all the reasons for autoimmunity nobody does and so uh but diet is an important one and we have to address that and if you're eating something that is triggering an autoimmune thyroid disease guess what it can trigger an ongoing
0: diseases, And how does that work? Like, so I know you've said that before, where, you know, the presence of autoimmunity or if you have high antibodies, you are really setting the stage for other different problems. And how does that like kind of technically work without getting too sciencey for us? But you know, in layman's terms, why would one beget the other?
1: Well, it's it's again. These are all linkages, right? So let's say your your reason for your autoimmunity is the grain that's a low vitamin D. Okay, so the first sign of your low vitamin D problem was your your uh, your autoimmune thyroid disease. You take thyroid, and then you're seeing. Oh well, I cure my thyroid problem and you you didn't you just treated it and you didn't treat the underlying reason and my low vitamin d is now going to put me at risk for breast cancer other autoimmune diseases and you never measured it you never treated it this is classic western medicine we treat this first problem which of course is important but we don't treat the underlying thing which is the low vitamin d so the 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 real thing your body was asking for with your thyroid autoimmunity was to correct my vitamin D. Okay, the next person with with autoimmune autoimmunity, the the primary problem isn't their low D. It's because they're eating gluten's or other grains. Well, once again, the the trigger, the this thing that's so irritating to the immune system, something that's triggering you to attack, not just it but yourself. This is very important. If you don't treat that, you're going to go on. Your body will go on to find something else to attack, okay? And so because it's the... It, the the trigger, the irritant, is causing so much underlying inflammation in the body. And this goes into the, the basis of aging, as you know, L, which is chronic inflammation is not good for your body.
0: Right. So basically the presence of antibodies with someone who has Hashimoto's who is treated on thyroid hormone, that those antibodies equal inflammation and inflammation is that at the base root of so many problems. Is that the biggest factor there? The inflammation in and of itself that's happening that could lead to all these other problems?
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost certainly it's it's complex and I'm not trying to make it too complex but I'm just saying yes sure. the that's you know if you look at these basic mechanisms of aging uh, chronic infl- inflammatory responses are one of the basic mechanisms of aging and yes that's the reason why you go on to forming other diseases
0: right um, just to touch on a couple more before we go one is um, so reverse t3 problems are are really on the rise not only with people on thyroid hormone and again probably because of all these factors they're on the thyroid hormone but their doctors not checking all these other levels so that things can start to fail at some point and the t4 will not convert into the biologically active form of t3 it'll convert into the reverse t3 and you test reverse t3 in everyone and and consider it just a marker of wellness in general but there are a lot of patients that don't technically maybe haven't had a hypothyroid problem per se but they're starting to get reverse t3 problems and these are people that have not been on medication and you know a lot of it's caused by stress um or or undereating um can you tell us about you know why this reverse t3 problem is on the rise is it really because I mean, it's probably obviously so many factors, but um, can you touch on that a bit? Well,
1: reverse T3 is an inactive version of T4. So when your body, so let me give you an example. The lady with the the Graves disease, with the the free T3 of 17 had a reverse T3 of 95, which is wicked high, okay? But that's her body protecting herself from the T3. Reverse T3 comp- competes with T3 to get into the cell. So this mechanism your body has of inactivating T4 into the inactive version of T3 known as reverse T3 is a protective mechanism against a hyperthyroid illness. So even though her T3 is wicked high, the reverse T3 is also wicked high and so subsequently speaking she's still hyperthyroid, she needs treatment and we did all of her the, the usual Graves treatments. Um, but. The body was trying to protect her. Furthermore, reverse T3 will go up in in a state of famine, and if your body wants to slow down the metabolism to survive the famine, reverse. T three is there for you. So reverse T three is an important level of control uh, within the within your body's thyroid system. Okay, because thyroid is so much more complicated than T four and T three and reverse T three. There's so many levels of regulation in the body. It's just a, a fascinating little system. But so so this reverse T three will elevate under chronic stress, dieting, the very things that you just talked about. Right? There's absolutely. If over is a form of stress, there's many drugs that people take that can affect it as well too. So so there's so many chronic and in, chronic inflammation is a form of stress on the body, that'll co up. So reverse t three is a very non specific marker of stress to the system, okay? And so and that's why it's such a great measure that it's non specific, but when it's elevated you can go, Wow, it can be elevated for a lot of reasons. The most common reason I see is in graves or isn't these other things it's actually the person taking too much t4 so the doctor put them on t4 to correct things the dot the person complained of being too tired and like the thyroid symptoms were still there so they kept on giving him more t4 and the, the higher the reverse t3 went. so literally the more thyroid hormone they were being given the more hypothyroid they were in actuality because the doctor never measured the reverse t3 I see this I see this I mean, at least every week I see a new patient that has came, comes to me with hypothyroid symptoms whose other doctor doesn't measure these things. We measure the thyroid, and, and sure enough, the reverse T3 is it's supposed to be under 15. It's 35 or something like that. And you just switch the thyroid hormone. Heck, sometimes you just lower their thyroid hormone dosage, and they become ah less. You know, again, it's amazing. Um, they take less thyroid hormone, and they feel more normal
0: thyroid. Yeah. And when I had a reverse T3 problem, a couple doctors failed me there, but one doctor actually said, all you need is more thyroid hormone, which is the worst thing to do to someone. You just wanted to give me more thyroid hormone and more T4. And I was like that. I was even trying to explain to him. I'm like, that's not how you solve this. (laughs) Um, And so I did it on my own. But But yeah, I mean, so that would have even made the problem worse had I listened to that doctor and just taken more thyroid hormone
1: exactly because it's not really thyroid hormone resistance it's your body actually creating trying to save you say wow there's too much thyroid here it's just like this poor lady with the graves her body's trying to protect her from all this t4 that's being pumped out of her thyroid by creating inactive versions to protect her body from so much thyroid the same thing has happened when you're given too much t4 your body's trying to protect you but again in this case you don't have the levels as high as the gravesley. You just have enough to make you a lot of reverse T three and feel more and more hypothyroid. Okay, and so so correcting and finding this balance between free T three and the reverse T three and as you and I both know, El, it's a it's a little bit more complicated than just saying you know our free T three should be free and above and our reverse T three should be fifteen and below. Those are good general numbers to start from, but everybody has a different balance within their own system, and it probably has to do with their thyroid. You know, receptors, and I, we could go on and on about that. Obviously, but but if you don't measure these things, you don't know. You you just. Don't know that you need to correct them, and that's the that's the primary problem for most people. And then, of course, the reference ranges are population averages, and so if the doctor just starts to dabble in this, which you shouldn't dabble in it, but um, but at least dabbling is better than not looking. Okay.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, I love better. You
1: know? I mean, it, it really is. And so, um, but if you just use the reference ranges in the labs, you'll also. You remember, because reference ranges are population averages and have nothing to do with optimal, um, and so uh, then you don't necessarily know what you're doing, and, and of course, you got to listen to the person. I've told you this before. I have some people who just feel better running slightly lower, okay? I have some people who feel better running slightly higher, and that uh, has to do with a lot of factors, but you got to listen to the person, too.
0: Right, because the, the, the lab values of where someone's free T3 might be in a range is soup is very individual and there's and when i asked an endocrinologist in person about this she said that they go by the american association of you know endocrinologists and basically they want to see everyone's free t3 right in the middle of the range now for some people that would make someone on thyroid hormone replacement still hyperthyroid when they need to be a little bit towards the top of the range and then like you said there's some people that are fine a little bit below mid-range but it's individual and so any doctor that's looking to put you in a box with your labs is a doctor you should run from am i right
1: (laughs) more or less yes i mean at least they're they're measuring because the first step like we said Exactly, it's like, hey, I got to run from this doctor who measured my T three and reverse T three, and he's keeping me in the middle. It's like, hey, that's a start, you know. Uh- um, so, uh, anyways, but uh, for the most part, yeah. Those, you know, we call them star doctors. If there's an little star or an L and A or L or an H next to the the test, they call it fine, which is not true, obviously. Especially when it comes to all our hormones. This goes for sex steroid hormones and adrenal hormones and all the rest of them. Is these reference ranges are enormous, you know? And so, I have some labs which will in you know, like. Uh, a lady went to a new lab the other day, and and the and I hadn't the reference range for this lab for her testosterone was was less than fifteen. Okay, which basically means zero is fine, you know. And so, what like, <laughs> a useful reference range. You know.
0: There's a little comedy in uh, medicine. Yeah, it is, you know, and
1: you go, "Wow, who came up with this reference range?" You know, and so the reference ranges are so variable in these labs. It's it's a, it's it's kind of astounding. It's not really funny, unfortunately. But I think most doctors who hopefully practice medicine for some length like of time realize that, that you can't use a population average to treat a person. you Use a population average as a general guideline, and that's a good place to start, of course, right? Um, and so, uh, and then you have to listen to your patients and then adjust things accordingly because yes i mean the the when we use things like nature Throid and other desiccated thyroids or, T, or t3 onlys or all the other things they, because of a flux in T3, let's let's use this example: as our patients get older and they have atrial fibrillation and other diseases, can spikes of T3 can exacerbate their underlying arrhythmias? And the answer is yes. Okay, so that's why the doctors are afraid of above all do no harm, but it's above all do something. Okay, and so 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 they're afraid of doing anything that might cause some problems because nothing that works in this world is devoid of side effects. So somebody might go on something with T3 and they're so sensitive to the fluctuations in T3, they just don't feel right and they have trouble on anything other than a T4 prescription. We have to listen to that. Um, sometimes it's just a learning curve for their body, of course, too. Um, and so, but the doctors are often afraid of using these things because they'll have that one case where the person, you know, I, I told you this one, uh, I probably I don't know if it was in the podcast or not, but a lady who went to a compounding uh, pharmacy and somehow the prescription, the, the pill she took was about a hundred times more potent than it was supposed to be. Um, and so it was an error made a mistake at the compounding pharmacy and she did end up going to the hospital because of her very fast heart rate and her hyperthyroid symptoms and she did fine, she came out the other side of it um, but then this one case will be that everything the doctors will talk about and they'll never use a compounding pharmacy again because one mistake was made and you know and, and that's, again, that was the risk. I was responsible for giving this lady the prescription and even if it was a mistake, you know, that was made, which it was by the pharmacy. I'm still responsible in some ways for that. So, the doctors, you know, we always take some risks in this. Fortunately, she wasn't mad at me, even though she could have been, okay? Um, and she just was mad at the pharmacy, which is more appropriate, but.
0: <laughs> Way more appropriate.
1: <laughs> so, but the, these kinds of things happen. Anytime you're trying to help people and go out a little different and go past the, the standard, well-trodden pathway, if you will, of Synthroid only, then you do have a lot of successes, but occasionally some, um, some at times where the person doesn't do as well, you know, it's just true.
0: Last but not least, but, uh, we'll finish up this conversation. I want to chat with you a little bit about type two diabetes and hypothyroid and kind of sort of hand in hand there. So, I myself was insulin resistant, not only based on my diet, but I'm sure based on two severe bouts of hypothyroidism. And, you know, a lot of people, and that's one of the reasons I believe that people who even are treated on thyroid hormone, they're doing great, but it's like, damn it, they still can't lose that fricking weight. And, um, part of what I discovered for myself is that, you know, I really needed to reverse an insulin resistant state, which you caught, um, and I suspected and, and, and it was confirmed with you. And so then I really had to dial down my carb carbohydrate consumption even more significantly than maybe someone else who's living a normal paleo primal paradigm of under 150 carbs a day. So I, in my opinion, I would urge everyone who's been treated or being treated on thyroid hormone, who's having trouble losing weight to test the HbA1c or look at the carb consumption and glucose, but they really kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. People with type 2 diabetes are at more risk for thyroid problems and vice versa. Can you touch on that? Because that's where really paleo and primal come in, at least with a low-carbohydrate paradigm, aside from no grains. But, you know, they go hand-in-hand hand and it's like you don't want to develop another issue, you know, once you've already just gotten over and <laughs> over one.
1: All these things come down to being the basic mechanisms of aging, right? So the one of the infant mechanisms of aging is just inflammation in general so i promise i'll get to this inflammation is tied into this very essence of what you're talking about so
0: well and i had inflammation too so yeah correct
1: you measure the crps you measure the fibrinogens you see is the person in a pro inflammatory state now by the way one of the most common causes of a high crp c reactive protein is a blood test you can measure uh and you know in your blood obviously um fibrinogen Is actually grains in the diet and it's sometimes other food sensitivities so you look for other food sensitivities but the body getting into a chronic state of inflammation again is a chronic stress to you so the doctor has to measure is the underlying reason that the person's out of whack is because the the chronic inflammatory state that you get into especially from eating grains so when you link the because that's what I think the, the most common linkage is. The chronic inflammation in one person leads to this insulin-resistant state, the type 2 diabetes, okay? And the next person, because of their genetic predisposition, it goes more into the autoimmune phenomenon because that's what they're predisposed to, okay? And so so you measure fasting insulin. You measure the hemoglobin a one C. A fasting insulin fasting meaning a 12 hour fast uh, should basically be unmeasurable if you have high levels of insulin in the morning that's an insulin resistant state Okay, there's other tests of course but these are basic ones the hemoglobin A1c which is the 3 month blood sugar test okay, should be under 5.2 and anything over 5.2 before we even call it diabetes at 6 is a, is a sign that your body is having issues with blood sugar which again is a form of aging okay? so,
0: yeah, and my, mine was 5.2 So that was, you know, nearing... Just problematic.
1: And everybody needs to know that Elle's a thin lady who exercises and you wouldn't look at her and guess, oh my gosh she probably has an A1c of 5.7 you just wouldn't have. Well,
0: there's very, there's very skinny scrawny people who have like a seriously diabetic, right? I mean, it's not all about weight.
1: No, that's why I bring it up is because it's not just about weight and people that make that mistake, oh, I'm thin, I can eat as much sugar as I want and some people, so for instance for me, I eat carb, bam, it's belly fat, okay um, but, but my blood sugar doesn't change an iota for some reason I'm just resistant to that effect, okay. Um, but man, I'll gain weight like nobody's business. If I eat like my wife, I'd, I'd be like Jabba the Hutt. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I,
0: I'd like her to g- g- send us her metabolism. I,
1: I really would. And so, but 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 some people can eat more carbs and get away with it. I ain't one of them, okay. So, uh, but uh, and just from a weight perspective, it's it's my early tell, right? But so for some people, they don't get that. For instance, for you, you couldn't entirely look at your weight. You'd have to look and say, wow, you'd never get, look at you and guess you had a A1C of 5.7. I understand, El, of course, there are thin people with higher A1Cs, you know that, I know that, right? But I'm just, for the general population, sometimes they think, wow, I have to have a great blood sugar, look at me, I'm thin. And that's not entirely true.
0: No, we're seeing athletes even who are super fit and trim and running marathons who, who are teaching yoga and they're doing great and then they go get blood work and they're like, what? I'm pre-diabetic, what do you mean? And And it really is not about weight at that point, it's just really about how your body is processing glucose, and that can be an internal thing you just can't see.
1: Exactly, and so so the underlying, and whether it's because of chronic inflammation related to the grains or other food sensitivities, remember it doesn't have to be grains, it can be dairy in one person, etc. There's It can be any number of foods if they have leaky gut, so I think that's the, you know, if we keep on getting more and more basic, is it their underlying GI health, is it their stress management? I mean, there's so many levels to the cell, and we always want to ask the deeper questions, oh, why this person's insulin resistant and you, you know the basic causes of insulin resistance are the standard american things too many carbs too little exercise more often than too much it can be too much too as you know um uh, too little too much stress too little sleep so that, then huh then the real way to treat their underlying thyroid and or diabetes issues comes down to getting adequate sleep, stress management, which you know I'm huge on. I won't go into that. Um, So stress management, which I think is the primary thing for so many people. And then, of course, paleo-type lifestyle, regular exercise, because most Americans, obviously, under-exercise is the bigger issue.
0: Right. So uh, before we leave, middlepathmedicine.com, if anyone's curious about Gary's practice, and also I think your website and, and looking about you, like your bio on there is a good marker of if you want to find a doctor like Gary or someone who's going to spend an hour with you, like they do with every patient and really assess your issues, look at his credentials and try to find a like doctor. And those credentials are things like experience with functional medicine, anti-aging medicine, right? Integrative, true integrative medicine, not like you said, where someone just hangs a shingle, you know, and says they're an integrative doctor. But these are the kind of disciplines that People should be looking at if they want more than just a prescriptionist doctor, correct?
1: Correct. Because if you go to and as you know, this is goes into, you know, big pharma, the insurance industry, for the most part today's doctor is limited because of their massive debt that they get in medical schools and they can't pay it off in residencies, to to becoming part of the Kaisers and the HMOs and accepting insurance and all these other things and getting paid these little aliquots of money per patient. Um and their and if they if you are not a surgeon if you are just a general family practitioner internist etc you to you have to see a ton of people to try to cover your overhead and make any kind of living and so everybody thinks doctors are rich if you don't if you don't um, you know if you follow the basic uh, premise of staying within the system which is what most doctors do then they'll you'll get short little visits and lack of lab tests and things because there just isn't the time to talk to you. So you have to look at doctors who've kind of stepped outside of that b- bottle and often, well, like for instance in my practice, it's a cash practice, but it means I give you a super bill, I, we agree on how much you're going to pay me, you give the super bill and then the insurance company works with you to reimburse you. It's not as It's not going to be reimbursed as well as your HMO doctor or, or your other things, but you're going to get HMO medicine, you know, and so which is...
0: <laughs> you're going to get HMO treatment, which I don't know.
1: <laughs> and and for the most part, if you don't have a medical problem, HMOs are fine. <laughs> Sorry, personal belief system there. Um, but uh, but once you have issues, then you really need thinking that goes a little bit past standard Western medicine because. And I think everybody knows that in our literature, there's the third leading cause of death in our country is this kind of practice when you go to the doctor and you just get a drug for everything without treating the underlying problem. So there's, you know, heart disease, cardiovascular disease in general, cancer, and Western medicine is the third leading cause of death in our country.
0: Really? So it's not just like drunk driving deaths. It's literally Western medicine is a cause of death. You're
1: actually killing people i mean you know and so
0: well i I mean i would have been dead had i not figured it out myself honestly i really believe that i would have continued to get a lot of health problems that were caused by hypothyroidism that no one you know diagnosed properly and you know i mean that's why i wrote the book right i and and then finally found you thank god but it's just um yeah i I believe that i would have been killed by western medicine right You,
1: you you probably would have been because because the you know those and and everybody needs to hear this the doctor primarily prescribes drugs or surgery, and drugs are poisons. All, the father of pharmacology said all medicines are poisons. It's just a matter of the dosage. So and that's not true for thyroid hormone. It's obviously not a poison, but, but, but that's true for the me- vast majority of medicines. So when people walk into a doctor's office, they're essentially asked to be poisoned. I'm going to my poison doctor. And, 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 and they wonder why they don't feel well. Well, we're chronically poisoning you. What, what do you expect? <laughs> and so, so, but, my, but this is what my insurance covers. So they go in because the system is set up so that they only can afford whatever the insurance will be. And that's that's why the whole system, everybody has to step out of it. Their diet, well, I can only afford McDonald's. Well, gee, that's going to lead to one one problem. And they think that this is the only way they can eat because that's the only way they can afford. And that's the most expensive way of eating is to eat whatever McDonald's or Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever people eat out there. And the same thing goes. I can only afford to see my HMO doctor or my PPO doctor, and I have to be in network because I can't afford real medicine. And they make the most expensive choice, which is to not get real care. Now, your book is so important because it it really brings forward a, a, such a common issue and people can how to be advocates for their own health care. But the key in all of this, which is 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 having empathy for everybody. You know, earlier in my career, when I 20 years or so ago, when I kind of got out into looking at things, natural medicine as well. Maybe I was a little too hard on M.D.s uh, in terms of because I was I was a lot like you. Uh, why wouldn't they look at these other things? Uh, why wouldn't they look at science? You know, I thought we were science-based doctors, and it, and it turns out that we're not. Okay, and I, and I, that realization of Western medicine as a belief system it was such an important one for me because I wouldn't be bad at math and my priest for just doing. You know whatever priests do as compared to rabbis, etc. I wouldn't be mad at your Western doctor for just doing Western medicine because he's he and she or he or she is doing exactly what everybody else in the world is. They're practicing a system of indoctrination that. Tells them this is the right way to do things, and they're doing it usually with your health in mind. They're trying to keep you away from that that crazy natural doctor that's going to give you that nature theory thing because it's it's wrong, you know. And so, uh, so, so if you step into that doctor's office and they don't know this stuff, they will try to protect you from the very things we just talked about. They won't measure your iron. They won't measure your D because it's not part of their belief system, even though it's what science tells them they have to do. Why not? Because they're not scientists.
0: Yeah, and I honestly, on that note, I I had to do a lot of healing about the doctors that hurt me, that I was angry at. I mean, you know, I ran into one doctor to CVS. I, he didn't recognize me, but I saw him, and this was the first doctor that really mistreated the hell out of me. And I walked uh, right out and literally just bawled, bawled crying in my car because it was just like this instant you know, rage and anger and just like you hurt me kind of feeling. And, you know, I actually had to do some, some tapping sessions and I was trying to do some hypnosis really at the time over getting rid of my anger and frustration towards the medical community. You know, it's, that's something to recover from right there, you know, and it sucks that that's like an extra element of healing, but it is. And I had to learn exactly what you're talking about, or just come to terms with that. They learned what they learned. It's a belief system. It's an indoctrination And I want to blame them, and I still feel they're all logical and ridiculous for not, quote, practicing medicine. But at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, that's a tough one for people to swallow, especially when they've been mistreated by an endocrinologist for 10 years, you know?
1: Uh, And of course it is, and it's understandable why you'd have, you know... I not say rage, but, uh, you, know, <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, something <laughs> Going like Going to Dr. Killen's uh, exactly, free. I'm, exactly. I'm glad that didn't happen.
1: <laughs> that's very good, exactly. This book would have never come to fruition. <laughs>
0: <That's> <laughs> r- right. r- 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 yeah. Written
1: from Sing Sing. Um, so, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, totally. So,
1: anyways, but, and that's the thing for everybody out there is just if we understand most people really are trying to do the best they can, given the limitations of their belief systems. And, so, and we see that everywhere in the world, whether it's I believe in being a... Democrat, Republican, this religion and that religion, or I believe only in this Western medicine model. Um, it's it's easy to do. You see why people do it, because it's easy. Um, and and again, it doesn't make it right, though. And if you are seeing a Western doctor and you're perfectly happy and healthy, rock on, because it works sometimes. You know. Um, but if you're not, you just have to kind of challenge, and like you said, look for functional medicine doctors or people who've been involved in the A4M. That's a uh, um, there's a website, worldhealth.net, uh, and you can put it in your zip code and see if there's a doctor who's certified in functional and anti-aging medicine. There's other groups that do that, too, but that's one of the groups that I got. You know, I was actually practicing this kind of medicine. I said, you know, I should get some of the agency authority. Agency authority meaning some group that says, hey, I'm somewhat certified in doing these things. Um So there's standardization, you have colleagues, et cetera. So um, there's some form of training that you've stepped outside. And there's groups like A4M, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, um, that is trying to help bring along doctors toward looking at the body different than just standard medical school training.
0: Right. I'm so grateful for you and your practice. You're not only, you know, I did not expect this to be the case. I was just looking for a doctor who knew about thyroid health and was primal in order to talk about some of these subjects. And it turns out you, you really saved my life through doing some blood work. Most doctors would not have taken, and I would have gone through life thinking everything was great. Um, so I'm so grateful to you. And if anyone out there is interested in hearing more, um, I have an depth Q and a with Dr. Forsman in the book, the paleo thyroid solution. It's available on Amazon right now for pre-order and out september 8th go get your copy it's inexpensive and worth every penny because the information you'll get in there will will help you and help you help your doctor so thank you so much dr Forsman. once again middlepathmedicine.com if you'd like to learn more about him and anything you'd like to leave our audience with before we go
1: no i just want to thank you so much for writing this book and i and and i'm sure everybody out there probably has already ordered ordered the book it really is worthwhile because he did such a great job with it so thank you so
0: much Have a great day. Are you someone who appreciates a fast, casual dining experience? Is it important that the taste of your food and the freshness of the ingredients
1: take center stage? Well, bringing that experience to a table near you is the mission of the hottest new franchise concept in North America, Primal Kitchen Restaurants. If you want to learn more about this one-of-a-kind franchising opportunity, go to primalkitchenrestaurants.com. That's primalkitchenrestaurants.com.